0: So, Chris, how you doing?
1: Good-ish. Obviously, the, the world is interesting as the UK goes into uh, lockdown to electric boogaloo, or whatever form you want to call it, the pandemic, which doesn't really change my life because I've been working at home since March, the joys of being a computational scientist. Yeah, that's fun. And obviously not commuting to work means I have more time for hobby and freelance work. Though <laughs> hobby is limited because I've painted a lot of stuff for miniatures, but can't war game. So, uh, you know pandemic
0: and you have been dropping pictures of your work in the mage the podcast discord and it is gorgeous uh some of them some of them are illuminated like vermeer paintings um (laughs) so i'm still waiting for the uh the calling of saint matthew to appear in little porcelain miniatures from like the warhammer universe
1: oh yeah i well the easiest way to get something that looks even closer to that to like classical figures that that are um that you can paint and then photograph right would be like kingdom death the massive kickstarter juggernaut that it is because those figures are very greco-roman kind of inspired in their sculpts so um i have lots of that as well which i need to paint more at some point
0: yeah i I just stick with with volume after volume of dead tree that i will likely never read um my (laughs) yeah i i am an actuary i have a sequence of a sequence of professional exams to go through and i'm preparing for my penultimate one now. And every time I sit for an exam, I try and pick up a hobby. Otherwise, there's only so much math I can do in a day before the rest of my body just kind of atrophies. So I've decided on carpentry this time. So I have my my hand-built shelves behind me that I need to create two more of, one for Chronicles Mm -hmm. of Darkness and then one for the rest of the Worlds of Darkness. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And uh, not having to pay money for gas leaves more money for Kickstarter. So
1: yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) got that going for me. So not a world of darkness question. You said you are a computational chemist. Dumb question. When I was getting my degree in chemistry, one of the things that annoyed the heck out of me was when physics majors referred to chemistry as nanophysics at the time. My response to something like that was, Hey, if you want to simulate an aldol condensation reaction from first principles, you can go ahead and do that. And if you get a result before the heat death of the universe, I will buy lunch for you. Has the advent in computational chemistry raise the range of what we consider chemistry or merely caused an encroachment from physics or is that a fundamentally flawed way of looking at it
1: for listeners okay so when we talk about first principles what we're basically saying is we want to model how atoms move and respond to each other which is all about electrons really as well because uh, chemistry is all electrons. Uh, governing how atoms interact. We can model that either by doing full-on physics, full-on quantum mechanics, solving Schrodinger's equations. The things that have been added onto that is trying to add a bit more about how say hydrogen, uh, obviously atoms are pretty much quantum systems. So you can't really say where a hydrogen atom exactly is. So th- what they do is they model instead, say if you think of water molecules, and oxygen attached to hydrogen atoms, rather than two hydrogen atoms, you have two clusters chained together. And these, at- these mini hydrogen atoms all move together, and you make a, uh, you basically average the results of where they move. So you can kind of represent the uncertainty of their position so that's kind of something they do now in quantum Mm -hmm. mechanics you're constantly making better and better guesses that you iteratively improve as you perform the calculation that's where that stands with molecular mechanics that's where you're representing the interactions between atoms rather than going from the full physics the quantum mechanics you're representing things essentially as balls on springs and you fitted the force constants the potential that that describes how those atoms move against each other. Where this leads to, though, is that often, my supervisor for my PhD would say, is sometimes in danger of still using the methodologies created during the 70s, when computing was still still relatively new in some respects. There was Mm -hmm. a limit to what you could do. So you do simplifications. We still have those simplifications in our models, which really means we're getting the wrong answers A lot quicker or getting a lot more wrong answers Uh, they haven't gone back and looked at the paradigm and changed the level of theory in the model how they approach these things though there is a uh, paradigm shift in that at the advent of of course machine learning so what's happening there is that you take a lot of results not loads and loads of results but a lot of sample results from quantum mechanics you machine learn the hell out of it and then you do effectively a molecular mechanics result but the difference is is that the bit where you're doing the quantum mechanics now the machine learning represents that because it has learned the underlying nonlinear relationship between the positions of atoms in space and the relative energy of that arrangement Mm -hmm. because that's what we ever really care about is the arrangement of atoms and what the relative energy difference is when you move atoms so the machine learning emulates the quantum mechanics so it's what we call slow learning fast emulation and that's okay. the work that was basically my phd i would describe myself as a all-round chemist material scientist biochemist computational scientist, machine learning scientist, and then working with some other fields where there's overlap where you can utilize any of that uh, domain knowledge so that's my day job <laughs> yeah
0: i always like the conversation of the comparison of one's day job versus one's rpg proclivities. Yes. Like when I go on Facebook and I look at the various fora uh, for the different games Vampire has a lot of people with fake fangs and, and contacts in and when I look at the mage profiles it's a lot of northern European programmers and I'm like what yeah. is this? what does this say about me but thank you. I'm glad to know the uh, the war between simulation and modeling is currently in the hey we need to update the, uh, the fundamental way in which we're doing this rather than uh, figuring out faster ways of as you said getting the wrong answer
1: Obviously, I border that vampire, um yes. the vampire mage, uh, <laughs> the, ma- the vampire mage divide because I'm a goth. I self-identify as maybe a goth, but mostly leaning more into at least when I was clubbing a lot into the kind of cyber goth industrial. Look. It's not crushed velvet. It's you know PVC and big, big ass boots.
0: I was a theater kid, but I was a musical theater kid. Like, so I never fell obviously into Changeling in the same way that like my drama friends were all drawn to oh, Changeling right. the Dreaming. So like, I've just kind of felt lost, but um, hmm. I think I've done okay for myself. I, I have noticed that most mage fans are very comfortable in excel. So that yes. that that seems to be my tribe if I had to pick one.
1: Excel is the devil's work though. Excel <laughs> is the devil's work. Um,
0: for mesoscale computer questions of when your data set is more than 5 and less than 50,000, it's great. Oh um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but speaking of tribes as it were, uh, you are a member of the Darker Days radio crew. What is that? Yes.
1: Okay, so Dark Days Radio has been is a podcast. It's a free podcast because we philosophically feel that we don't want to make money off other people's hard work. In some respects, because we review primarily World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness uh, books, games, we interview the creators, we go to events and report on them. Now, even and now we do panels and obviously do live play uh, stuff. Uh, in conjunction with Gehenna Gaming. And we also do original content. So we do the secret frequency segment on the show where we're basically looking at some real-world folklore, legend, mythology, and see how we can use it in any of the games. We're rather agnostic in that sense. So also when we review a book, we will go, well, hey, this is a book in Vampire the Requiem. But how else can we use it? Because just because it's read doesn't mean we can't use it in that game line that happens to be that marbly green or maybe in even in mage we'll take anything and look at it and then more recently we've spun out some other shows as well you know some have worked some have failed and we've re we've relooked looked at them so we've now got dark hammer which has been just gone on for at least 10 episodes which is our worlds of warhammer episodes so they relate to looking at Warhammer Fantasy, so the old world, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, which is the Mortal Realms, which is the new fantasy setting, the current one, and also Warhammer 40,000 which is the sci-fi setting. So those are all the Games Workshop RPGs that are done by Cubicle 7. And then to cap it all off, we are now publishing through storyteller vault slowly you know we did we've published a few things on storyteller vault primarily for chronicles of darkness so we've done some setting books we've done some adventures with mini settings in them and we've also done uh, we've taken our secret frequency files segment from the podcast and basically put rules to those ideas and written them up and So yeah, it's been going for 10 years. It was started by Vincent Florio and Mark Hope. And then I got in on it in 2009 and we've just carried it on and we've grown as a team. Our team is based on three continents. So there's myself, James and David in the UK and my partner as well, Sam. She also does, we've just started a new show called Dread Cassette. That's pure just horror media, nothing to do with RPGs. Mike, Chig and Crystal Mesa in the U.S., and then uh, we have Pete in Australia.
0: You also did the absolutely gorgeous Venice Unmask. Is that a picture of you on page 40? Yes, that okay.
1: will be. And the cover is my wife.
0: And Venice Unmasked is a, uh, a wonderful supplement for Changeling the Lost, which is a good setting book, and you can steal a lot of it and jam it into many other games. I am uh, ruthless when it comes to, to set acquisition.
1: That book is pretty much I think people have called it de facto Venice but for Chronicles of Darkness um, and it doesn't have anything stupid in it like a, a certain skyscraper in the middle of Venice. I will speak no more about uh, the uh, ills of the Giovanni clan.
0: Is there like a Giovanni clan book that has like the Eiffel Tower in the middle of it like ah down, <laughs> downtown Florence or something uh, like that? Yes
1: there is notoriously and I've ribbed Justin Achille on this because I think it was his fault. Don't quote me on that but I did rib him over this about the fact that in the Giovanni clan book, or at least somewhere in one of the Giovanni clans. I can't remember which one. But it's notorious because it talks about a skyscraper the Giovanni have, have in Venice. Basically, there's a limit to how high you can make things in Venice, essentially, because yeah. you know Venice is built on marshy ground with stakes in it. And the largest building in Venice is the Campanile, which has collapsed previously.
0: Several times, I think.
1: So the idea of a skyscraper in Venice is completely nonsense so I would not be surprised if V5 retcons the hell out of that
0: maybe it's a metaphorical skyscraper it's the skyscraper inside every one of us stateside I'm a big fan of the subway that existed in uh, New Orleans which is also a city literally underwater (laughs) brilliant (laughs) below sea level but uh, we are here to talk specifically about your uh, secret frequency project what are they
1: so yeah, as I said, like the the secret frequency segments of Dark Days Radio are essentially us taking some real world folklore, myth, legend, urban legend, or historical factoid that's a bit strange, and really just looking at every different way you can include that in your world of darkness or Chronicles of Darkness game. We do look at lots of different ways, like just even considering like uh, let's take the classic Nicholas Flamel, classic alchemist is he a promethean demiurge who's, or or maybe in chronicles of darkness he's uh, you if you use the book of mortals he is an immortal or he's a you know classic he's a mage who is in the order of hermes or he's a, a tremere or, you know, the list goes on, basically. And we do that. And then what with the advent of Storytellers Vault is, with the secret frequency files, is we dis- we take a couple, I say a couple, we take about four or five ideas. And across the team, we write up a full kind of story seed. So it's got some history in there. There's, it, m- it may or may not, depending, have some rules. But it at least tells you how to use it in the game as well. And... Th- but we look at it for using it for a particular game line as well. It would bloat the book by by miles. The reason we've gone for just producing those for Chronicles of Darkness is I think I feel there's more room for us to explore weird things and have things not, not even neatly slot into a particular splat, faction, thingy, mob, whatever. Because I think Chronicles of Darkness really supports that. But there is no reason why you can't pick these up and retrofit backport, whatever you want to call it, and fit them into World of Darkness. It, it, that, that's really easy to do. And I think also, personally, looking at Storytellers Vault, and I would say this as to people looking at getting into self-publishing, find where there's a gap that you can exploit well. Story Says Vault is filled with Vampire the Masquerade stuff on there. So that's why we don't produce Vampire the Masquerade stuff on there. It's that simple.
0: So there's two ways to parse that. One, it's full of it because that's what people want to produce. And also because that's maybe what people want there was a brief moment where on the storyteller vault the top four publications were all made to the Ascension. i'm like oh my god I hit my lightning today but otherwise you could also say that is where the demand is is this a case where you feel that there is a untapped market or you're just not interested in doing another damn vampire book or, or both
1: both okay i also just think it creatively or fun looking at chronicles of darkness personally at and also there's a lot more different splats in chronicles of darkness i mean i would say i'm not opposed to writing something for world of darkness but you know there's so many books that have been done for world of darkness whereas chronicles of darkness also has a lot of scope for there's some great writers who are also like updating material from first first edition to second edition and that's a completely valid way of getting published uh so long as you're not doing a copy pastor of the written material if you reinterpret update the text add your your own flavor to the text and also update the rules to fit the new edition that is a perfectly fine thing to do and we've done that in in the secret frequency files in places we've we've done that because you know there's a gap we exploited it and that's good
0: So when you talk about there being more space, what do you feel about Chronicles of Darkness creates that space besides that there are maybe just more splats? Do you feel there's something about theme or mood that maybe if someone were to pull one of your creations into the old world of darkness, they may want to consider to make sure that tone is consistent?
1: I would say the reason why I feel there's at least there's space currently with Chronicles of Darkness compared to classic World of Darkness, I think V5 has changed things up a little bit, is that Chronicles of Darkness always feels... Very local. So, for example, my, this is not published yet. When I'll get round to publishing, it's another thing. Uh, My Vampire the Requiem Manchester setting, it has a a very, it feels very Mancunian, it feels very British. The Carthians have a particular political setup so they can control things. The same with uh, the other covenant, particular bloodlines are present and so forth. Yet, when I then look at, say, running, if I was to run a game of, uh, say, take the, my Venice setting, and I go, well, what are the Carthians like in Venice? They're the Carthians in name, they're Carthians in certain philosophical ways, but in other other aspects, they're completely different, maybe, maybe completely opposed to what the Carthians in Manchester are like. So obviously this is the, the the pros and cons of Chronicles of Darkness is that it's a very good toolbox. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to know what to do with that toolbox. But once you've got into the mindset of it, you could run a Vampire the Requiem game or a Mage the Awakening game. And then if you were to run it again or someone else is running it and they're running it even for the same city, they can feel completely different based upon their... Their kind of creative narrative choices even based upon which supplement books they use because again the core books assume this is the one thing which is at the nexus of it but all the other books are not even assumed or referenced and they don't self-reference each other so just because you go well i've got vampire the requiem i'm going to assume everything out of uh, the book requiem for rome okay so all the history from that you you consider canon You can quite easily go, no, that's not canon, that's not what happened, that's just vague rumour, legend, none of that actually happened, and go for a completely different kind of history to how you got to the modern setting. Or you might also, say, include other bloodlines out of one book, but you don't include them from another. You may even use some of the other optional covenants that turn up in Dance Macabre and in uh, Damnation City, those type books. You know, Essentially, I feel it's much easier to remix and feel personally mine, whereas interacting with the World of Darkness, I can make it mine, but I, I always felt with the older games, like, if well, if I don't use that book and I don't assume these things, I have to unpick pick this thing out of this book that I'm also using that references that book, and then that has You know impacts on this thing so but then you've also got there but the benefit of that is you've got this wholesale setting that you know you've read book after book after book you're emotionally invested in that ongoing story yeah that's the difference that's why i feel there's space to explore weirder things in chronicles of darkness because chronicles of darkness has that beautiful initial thing of here's the core book is the general rules for ghosts demons ephemeral beings cryptids You can just play mortals against weird creatures and never even come across vampires, mages, and the other plethora of splats.
0: In numerical analysis, you have the idea of a dense versus a sparse matrix. One of the questions is, how easy is it to break up a web of relationships into discrete little chunks? In Old World of Darkness, it is often very difficult to get rid of just, for instance, one clan like if you have a big problem with the giovanni and you just want to get rid of them you now have a lot of questions to answer in terms of what this world now looks like we're in new world of darkness if you just want to get rid of the adamantine arrow that doesn't really break anything (laughs) <laughs> you probably yeah. want to have the uh, kicks real good and uh, and shoots real good group of some sort, but there is nothing really preventing you from doing that. It's You're not trying to pull a single thread out of a sweater. You're trying to pluck a grape out of a salad, which tends to be much more elegant.
1: Talking about V5, it's quite exciting. Because you look at, say, the evolution now of, like, we have Hakata, who is the clan of death. I feel you've got a bit m- a lot more flavor and choices. So You, you want to go, well, I want to be the necromancer kind of clan. There aren't now just the Giovanni, a blend in there. Likewise, the Setites are now the Ministry, but you can explore that kind of snake myth from different aspects. So you could look at, say, the more kind of Scandinavian links to the, what's the serpent? Jorgenmond. Yeah, so you can look at that and obviously be an aspect of Loki or whatever else you want to do. And also like the religious horror that's now within V5 because we've got the resurgence of all these different cults. And, you know, the the, the Camarilla has retracted and uh, the Anarchs are everywhere. And we've also not got Sabbat as our de facto bad guys. There's just a lot more space now in Vampire in V5 to you know, mess stuff up, and also re-explore some sacred cows, so what I mean by that is the things that we used to take for granted in, in Vampire, I don't think we should take for granted. I'm really keen at always looking at, well, they've got cyclic Gehenna, what does that really mean about Cain? that really mean about vampires what do we actually have convergent evolution of vampires as opposed to say a single origin myth we can go back and look at that and that's quite funny when you look at one of the last books of revised which was i think it was the storyteller handbook had a lot of options of right here's how you remix rejig vampire get rid of the clans get rid of the get rid of the camarilla get rid of the sabbat there is no cane all those things they were there, and they were there in a book. And now I feel we're getting to see some. We saw some of that in Requiem, and it's no surprise we're seeing some of that now in V5.
0: The Major Revised Storyteller Handbook did a lot. Like this is how you run a game yeah. without paradox. This is how you fundamentally change what quiet is, and so on. Which which I certainly appreciated. And it's interesting to see people complain that there is now too much open space like I, I, I want an answer to things and as a mage player I'm like stop complaining <laughs> Like you're complaining like oh I only got one dessert and I'm like shut up <laughs> I get yeah, one book a year maybe
1: <laughs> I don't know the, the thing about having a definitive answer to things as well and I think that's always the backlash when new editions come out mm-hmm. and or new new versions like I once had, uh, on, yeah, had an argument on the internet like you do someone said like oh well you have to have read all these books in order to play torridor and i was like what the what the hell are you talking about why does a new player have to have read the entire torridor clan book in order to play this game what does that mean just because part of my gut is about why people do those or feel like that is that they like porting the same character they play to every game that they play in like i'm playing this torridor character and then they go to someone else's chronicle this is my target character. It's like, why do you want to play the same character all the time? Just so you have some in-game bonus that you have this history of the character. You know all this stuff. You go, well, I know all this. And they've learned all this. It's like, I don't give a stuff. This is my game. This is how I'm running it. This is what is canon. What you think is canon is not. I want to re-inject that ter- terror and horror of the unknown. And again, I think that's what V5 is offering some of.
0: I can get behind that. That's my rant, sorry. (laughs) No, that's... If nothing else, it is a well-executed and eloquent rant, and I appreciate that. You feel that there's more space, there's more room. You also mentioned the fact that um, there's a lot of stuff that either doesn't need to be broken into a splat or doesn't fit into one. There's a lot of just weird stuff out there for an example that's running around one of the ones that i ran into in your book was the endless forest which was a fascinating Mm. idea and i have no idea how to pronounce that
1: hoi basu so this was born out of watching some wonderful trash tv ghost adventures (laughs) yeah i watch a lot of shows like that just because you know it's uh, brainless and it inspires you so yeah it's this romanian forest in transylvania and it's basically renowned for, like, spirits or UFO sightings. Uh, there's this, it's dense trees, and then there's this space in the centre of it, this clearing, where people begin to feel sick. You know, uh, electrical equipment goes haywire or stops working. People see witch lights and willow-the-wisps in the, in the forests. Uh, and I basically, I basically wanted a way of going, well... I had two ways of looking at this. Either I could look at this forest and go, well, there's likely are similar locations in the world like this. It just feels right, you know, this a loci or nexus or or some point this where the wall between worlds is completely non-existent. Or go with the idea that once you've been there, it worms its way into you, and you keep seeing out of the corner of your eye. You see it. So if you're walking through a city you see a alleyway that shouldn't be there. And if you were to go down it, it takes you back to the forest, into the forest. And you wouldn't realize that you're suddenly back in the forest. How did you get? And it's kind of mimetic in the way it's spread. So if you see drawings that people make of their visions of the forest or pictures they've taken there or or video, you'll also experience it. So it's kind of Ringu, kind of grudge-like in the way it spreads. And really all it's wanting to do is just draw you in and claim your soul and get its hooks into you deeper and deeper until you just disappear. I think I've got it as being... You could even use it as a god machine thing. It's a piece of infrastructure that didn't get properly deleted and is still there. You could have it in Mage's Awakening. It could be like an abyssal intrusion. That would be perfectly valid. Though I went with Changeling so it is actually like a uh, one of the Fae trapped in our world doing what it does, but obviously trapped in our world doing it rather than from Arcadia. I mean, it could easily be the forest where it leads you to is part of Arcadia and is in another realm. So yeah, I just think it was something very primal about it, something which you can't easily fight because it's not a singular person. It has just that ancient feeling and very eldritch feeling to it
0: and if we were to point that port that into old world of darkness uh, some of the things that immediately come up with me is i like the idea of this dark nature entity we get a yeah. lot of paradigms that are naturalistic and say that the natural world is good. But here is a very consuming version of that that may not have your best interest in mind. Be like, oh, it's a forest. What's the worst that could happen? It could be something like a bygone that instead yeah. of becoming mundane, instead of the unicorn turning into a horse, it has turned into what was previously some sort of tree monster has just turned into this copse of trees that people seem not to to come out of or something along those lines
1: you could easily look at other things like uh, for black spiral dancers it mostly fits them quite well with the mm-hmm. spirit or old god i mean also part of the inspiration of, of the rules for what it does it comes from midnight circus which is all about barbs and people getting addicted mm. and keep coming back to it so that's partly where where that system inspiration comes from
0: How do you find out about the place in the first place? Is this something where you went looking for things or just know them to exist and say, hey, I think this could make a neat idea? What does that process look like when you're saying? Oh, right.
1: I think that really a lot of what we do Dark with Secret Frequencies is really based around stuff we've read, stuff we've used for our games previously things i say that i watch on like trashy tv whether it's like mountain monsters <laughs> or ghost adventures or any of those type of shows i have no problem or or even from movies so you know dilatov pass is a classic which turns up in the film devil's pass really it comes from something i've likely know already i know about already or if we're going for a particular theme like we're doing a secret frequency on say alchemists we we'll, i'll start going through the list of famous historical alchemists and and we'll go, we'll pick out ones we haven't spoken about before. That's generally the approach then. And then after that, it's a case of just going through the internet a lot or utilizing my academic uh, library access to uh, get to any books I need or other journals I might look at as well, just for reading purposes.
0: Uh, but that's the part, you know, that's the nice thing to have access to. So you said the magic word, Diatlov Pass. What was the Diatlov Pass incident?
1: So that one is where a group of mountaineers went missing. They were camping at night and then some horrible event happened and they were found half-dressed, frozen, signs of radiation, signs of, I think, maybe tongues missing? I can't quite remember. And so that happened in Russia and it's just bizarre. It's just a bizarre Event Very, very strange. Still unexplained.
0: Yep. One victim had a fractured skull. Two had major yeah. chest wounds. One was missing both of their eyes. Another was missing uh, their tongue. As you said, nine hikers. These were people that I think were relatively prepared for what it is. And it's one of those awesome things where you look up the, uh, the putative causes of it. And it's like, infrasound, catabatic wind, paradoxical undressing due to hypothermia. Um yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where you're like these are not all pointing in the same direction. Now all right. As a storyteller, when you look at an incident like that, like one of the basic rules in World of Darkness and Old World of Darkness is that if something super bad or super great happens, it's always mortals. Nazis were fundamentally human at the end of the day. There may have been dark things that took advantage of it, or two factions may have warred on opposite sides and kind of canceled each other out. Do you have any hesitancy in taking Fordian events or the unexplained or just weird things like this and saying, nope, that was a mage. Or nope, that was Werewolf the Forsaken.
1: <laughs> I think sometimes it's nice when they can fit into that into those splats, but I think it's it's always creepier when it just doesn't. When it mm-hmm. really falls, when you can just go, it's just none of those, and it doesn't matter how in tune you are with with the Umbra, or how far, how many spheres you understand, or or even how ancient a vampire you are. The fact is, despite all those things, you still don't understand this is or this event this horrific event this supernaturally horrific event is still the actions of mortals dabbling with things hmm, okay. uh, well beyond your ken i think that's far more terrifying Okay. Uh, ultimately for the especially if you're playing vampire to go we have no answer for this at all or even for mage uh, uh, to have a have magic that falls well beyond your established norms because it, for some reason it comes from another reality or something.
0: I like that. Uh, it's one of those things where I like having one or two supernatural events. That way players get the feeling like they're getting, like, uh, for lack of a better term, the real story, wink, wink. Yeah. Um, th- that it turns out there was an enchanted pen that was used during the writing of the Declaration of Independence, which made the idea particularly, uh, mimetically advanced or something like that. Like there were euthanatoi present at the founding of the country, uh, just to kind of help it along. Or you have other incidences like the, uh, what, w- what would be like a-, a famous UFO abduction and everyone's like nope no idea what happened there we're <laughs> we're not sure at all
1: you get into the problem of like the, the classic problem is uh Rasputin in World of Darkness is claimed by every single group you're mm-hmm. just like oh really mm-hmm. it's like this is just it gets a bit it also feels a bit lazy sometimes mm-hmm. I, I like cryptids a lot uh, especially because cryptids order that supernatural paranormal and edge of of known science, known nature. Science and nature is sometimes weirder than fiction and could well be weirder than magic.
0: Yeah, I will argue that the reproductive cycle of the Sauronam toad is vastly weirder Mm. than dragons. (laughs) Dragons make way more sense than a lot of these things. Um, (laughs) Like, oh, that's fantastic. Have you seen a pangolin? Do you know what a Mm. drunken platypus does? (laughs) Do you know how slow lorises work? Uh, So speaking of cryptids, one of the ones you have in there is the Pope-like monster. What is that? And am I pronouncing it incorrectly? Because it appears to be English. So I assume several of those letters are not pronounced as as I expected. Uh, yeah, it's
1: the Popelik Monster. So the Pope Monster is a goat man who was picked up by a travelling freak show in the 1920s, apparently. He used as a side attraction, and then, obviously, uh, there were rumours that he was once a farmer who sacrificed goats to the Satan, people tickets to the show, leading to a very popular attraction, making lots of money off it. And then, obviously, it was mistreated got angry wanted revenge it was rumored to have powers of telepathy hypnosis and vocal mimicry then as the circus was traveling by train the public caused hypnosis that allowed that caused the conductor and train to, to stop paying attention to what they were doing the train crashed and the popelet monster was finally free and now roams a certain part of the the us claiming victims and so forth so again it's a strange cryptid creature that you know you could say, for werewolf, it's one of the weird Ferrer. It's a spirit, maybe you could from werewolf the forsaken. It could be a uh, one of the claimed, which would explain the strange mutation. Essentially, it could be it could easily fit into deviant the renegades, the latest game that we're waiting in the book to come out in print but it could easily just be a cryptid it mm-hmm. is a actual actual uh, creature that we just have no idea about
0: in the old world of darkness thing this could e- easily to me be a thalane or maybe a particularly odd embodiment of a satire um yeah it could be some progenitor experiment gone wrong or some verbena spirit that has that has gone sideways we we got options and you don't Answer those. You provide statistics and abilities and so on, and recommendations and so on. Say just run with it. This is this is the background. You 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 are in no way prescriptive uh, about it when it comes to those things. You also have something called uh, the Tomb of William Mackenzie, and this is pretty neat and pretty involved. Would you mind sharing what that is?
1: Okay, so William Mackenzie is a Anglo-Scottish civil engineer who was born 19, uh, 1794, died eighteen fifty one and was pretty renowned for his designs. He worked on the railway lines, uh, construction of tunnels between Liverpool and Manchester. And essentially, he wanted a tomb which was quite weird. It would be pyramidal in shape, and it was constructed by his brother 16 years after William's burial, and was built on top of the burial site of William Mackenzie. The thing is, though, so William is not interred directly within the pyramid, but... It's strange because, you know, it's this pyramid structure has very Masonic kind of imagery to go with it. There's rumours that within, you'll find William actually sat there playing a game of cards with the devil, maybe, sitting at a table with a winning hand. This was some way of, like, so that his soul could not be claimed by the devil himself. And it's not a unique tomb in some respects because there are actually other examples. There's an example of this guy called John Mad Jack Fuller who does something quite similar. So we took that, I took that idea as a brilliant example of strange Masonic architecture and applied that as the story seed for updating the bloodline Architects of the Monolith. So Architects of the Monolith are a vampire bloodline from Vampire the Requiem who are able to do a lot of their, their, their blood magic, essentially, through manipulating the city, through tapping into the inherent power that comes from architecture. So the the layout of the city, the fact that buildings of importance have power. And essentially thinking, well, a vampire maybe has a particular tomb that they can return to, to rest in that they've constructed as well to help channel the flow of occult energies. And so then from that, it's just just an excuse then to then rewrite a bloodline for Vampire the Requiem and update it to the second edition. So a lot of the powers of the discipline that this bloodline has called Gilded Cage are updates of the ones that were originally in. I can't remember which book they were in. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but updates of those. And uh, I think there was also, I put in a few extra new powers as well that don't appear in original bloodline write-up from the original book yeah I think
0: that was a bloodline's the hidden one
1: yeah so yeah that was really it and it, obviously it's a, a bit of good fun to test out to really just try a hand at writing up powers and porting them over to the new edition
0: and there is nothing preventing you again from using this in a different group like I could see this in old world of darkness being a path of sorcery that mortals oh, yeah, are doing line. yeah where they are yeah. trying to either either Masonic power or geomantic power is real. Or, since it's Old World of Darkness, their belief in it is strong enough and established enough that people think it is real and it creates the, the same number of things anyway. Can you give me an example of, like, one of the things you can do with this gilded cage magic?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, I'll choose one which isn't too vampire-based because, yeah. You know, if we go with, for example, green light, essentially it means that you travel. It it helps expedite your travel uh, for yourself or for a target through a city so the magic allows you to essentially in, uh, tap into the flow the, the flow of of the city the heartbeat of it and so every light is green or traffic just moves out of the way just as you get off one subway train the other one that you need to get arrives just on time mm-hmm. uh things like that so you you can easily look at that and go well that's that's a rote that's a mage rote uh, for a particular kind of paradigm. You could easily say I'm trying to think of the classic mage groups. I mean that feels very kind of house thick, Order of Hermes maybe. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, you could say that is feels very syndicate agent mm-hmm. uh, controlling information, controlling money to allow. To tap into the flow. So that's how you could easily use that in Mage. Obviously, for, as you said, for Vampire fits Tremere quite happily.
0: And to me, where I think this is neat is one of the things where mage has never done a great job, in my opinion, is in Revised, we get the idea that each tradition has unawakened sorcerers that work with it. So you could have a syndicate member that has full access to the sphere of entropy, but this is one of those little things that one of their their unawakened extraordinary citizens would gain access to that is going oh, yeah. to look utterly mundane from the outside but is actually this magical thing that they're using to stymie the mage group that is trying to track them down. And it does so in a way that is very flavorful and very specific, but that a clever group can find a way around. Oh, okay. We need to tag this person before he leaves. Did anyone get a, uh, a hair sample of him so we can track him sympathetically. Maybe we just cause an explosion, which makes this very well tuned ability just not work anymore. Can someone cause a distraction or disrupt a red light or something like that? And, and, I think it gives us, again, a lot of options. And the beauty of a supplement like this is, sure, it says Mage to the Awakening, but if, if you're dealing with a ghost, who cares? Ghosts can pop up anywhere. If you're dealing with an alchemist, that can really come from anywhere, seemingly. So are there any other that you, that you think are particularly interesting or maybe that you're proud of or that you think has uh, manifold uses that can pop up in a bunch of different ways?
1: I really enjoyed writing The Alchemist with Ruby Eyes because I think... So this is about Johann von uh, Luersten Künkel, who was a German chemist born around 1630. And essentially, he there's, the legend goes that essentially he was able to create artificial rubies, which is then linked to his ability, apparently, to create the Philosopher's Stone, or as it's also known, the Celestial Ruby. Creating artificial rubies is also quite interesting because that then relates to creating the materials that could be used for used for lasers. Mm-hmm. So there's a link there. Uh, he also had like an ongoing vendetta with a rival chemist relating to the discovery and uh, synthesis of white phosphorus, which is obviously known for giving off uh, bright light when it uh, is exposed to oxygen. You know, He's an interesting character because he, he di- uh, dies. Did he... Performer a pact with the devil his lab was on fallon Insul, so peacock island i think in and around somewhere in berlin i think so there's this ghost out there with ruby eyes so is this a is he a ghost i mean we present a ghost mage which is possible does happen in uh, mage the awakening but you could just actually just be a regular ghost Mm-hmm. Or he could be a ghost mage. He could be a some weird spiritual reflection of him. Again, it's it's written looking at Mage the Awakening, but you could easily use it in Geistosiniths. You could port it back into the other games, could look at Wraith, you could look at Mage the Ascension. So there's lots of different ways you can utilize it in 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 that way, and again, it's just a good, interesting legend and interesting from a writing up about the, yeah the science of alchemy is mm-hmm. it, you know chemistry chemistry comes from alchemy, so that's where my interests also lie uh, from just purely an academic background.
0: Is there going to be a Secret Frequencies uh, three?
1: There is, but there's, it's just a case of coming up with a good set of at least four or five of these uh, type legends. I've got a few ideas uh, that I want to work on. Mike has a few ideas. We might try and create something completely original as well. So, you know, almost uh, our own kind of spooky pasta, almost, as it were. Creepy pastor, I mean. So, and... That's the aim. Uh, there's also scenario ideas I'm still thinking about. I've got an update to Venice on Mass so that all the Court of Carnival powers for the changelings are updated to use the second edition rule set. So I just need to... I've written it. I just need to put it in layout. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. And I'd like to write a scenario set changeling. So that's basically my list of things I want to do. But then also there's... Or, you know, then takes... A, has to be put into cold storage whenever I get any... Uh, freelance work to write on Mm because that pays more money (laughs) yeah (laughs) quite simply it just pays more money
0: are there any any other things that you think our listeners should know about or any projects you are working on or if nothing else where can we find more about what you're up to
1: so there's a few things in the works obviously i am writing various little bits here and there for cubicle seven for the warhammer rpgs so i've written for all three i wrote on the core book for wrath and glory a revised edition of that so that's going to be in, in print shortly just the other week published in time for halloween is uh the scenario i co-wrote with david who we podcast with called hell rise to Hout. so that's a, a headless horseman type horror story for warhammer and warhammer is like a pseudo 16th century renaissance holy roman empire kind of germany Settings. So you could take a lot of the ideas out of that and that entire game and apply them to a historical World of Darkness game quite easily. There's some stuff I've written for two mini scenario ideas for Age of Sigma, uh, the Soulbound RPG for Age of Sigma. So that's in the Cities of Flame supplement. Uh, I've got some other things in the works for one or two of those games then. And then I'm also awaiting to see in print uh, my work on. Children of the Blood for Vampire the Masquerade Fifth Edition, so that's a stretch goal book that came out for Cults of the Blood God, and that's it that I can say about stuff I've written or that there are things the works that I can't really talk Mm -hmm. about essentially right now. Fully Um, understood. Other than you know podcasting, you know fairly regularly, Uh, you can also see our streamed games on Gehenna Gaming, so we team up with them, so we've done a campaign for Wrath and Glory, so that's Warhammer 40,000 RPG, using most of the published material with some updates and refits to fit how I want to run it. And then I'm taking a break from that for now, and in its place we are running the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay classic, the seminal campaign, The Enemy Within. So David is running that, and I'm simply playing a Talian duelist, so I'm playing a very pseudo-Italian swordsman who fights for money he's great and then the other thing is if you're really into science, science futurism technology and the culture around it i am the senior writer for cyber magazine uh, i've been writing for it since issue two issue six came out recently it sold so many uh it has a limited edition reprint as well so it has a different cover uh, and this issue has uh, a lot of content relating to the Cyberpunk RPG and obviously the Cyberpunk 2077 computer game that is being delayed again, but it should be out soon on all systems. And so in that magazine there is my article where I interviewed Mike Pondsmith, the creator of Cyberpunk 2077. There is my editorial about trauma teams. So I basically wrote about them as if they were a real company, which is amusing. And then there is also my actual real science article in there about e-waste and how we deal with it Ours. This is the thing is like when you get a new technology turn up or something, it's all great. And then you realize it just creates more problems as well that you need to address. And e-waste is perhaps our next big issue as our landfill is filled with discarded computers and so forth, which we can't repair because, you know, they're made by Apple whoever whatever. And they are leaching toxic materials into our into our lands. And so the question is, what do we do to address this growing problem? How do we recycle it? Do we have to have a different approach to making devices? That's basically everything I do.
0: <laughs> and the moment you send me links to those things, all of those will be available in our show notes for interested listeners. Chris, thank you so much for doing this.
1: It's been great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys reading stuff. Uh, and yes. The- <laughs> Oh, and also, before we finish, we'll talk about the other links. Obviously, Darker Days Radio is www.darker-days.org. We're on Facebook at Darker Days Radio, Instagram at Darker Days Radio, Twitter. If you go to our blog as well, which is on WordPress, blog and Instagram is, because we do the Warhammer RPGs, those being more of a visual uh, media format, you can find all the painted miniatures that myself and David do, because David, who I podcast with, is also a wargamer because we used to work in a games workshop store in our underground times um
0: (laughs) this has been mates the podcast which sincerely just wants to catch up and isn't planning on asking to borrow your pickup truck to help it move i've been spending most of my time on some opp projects an actuarial exam and running triad con so i've been putting off a few things and i just wanted to state that the next project up as chosen by our executive producers is the mage the ascension srd for everything but magic the magic one will come later those executive producers help make this show possible, and they include Andrews S., Andrew K., Andrew E., Brendan, Bryce Perry, Christopher P., Chris Zach, Ira Grace, Jenna F., Justin B., John H., John Magnuson, Josh Golden, Michael Parker, Richard Bat Brewster, William C., William M., Jay Sunsern, Andy, Dan Svensson, Neil Patterson, Buck Farmer, Isabella Castillo Lopez, and Mike Creedle. Our executive producer shout out this episode is to Buck Farmer, who may secretly be a member of House Bonnie Sages, based on Buck's ability to appear out of nowhere, ask a question about crossover possibilities between Changeling the Dreaming and Promethean the Created, or what most choristers would think of Tom Cruise movies as a recruitment method for Scientology and whether it's a stalking horse for syndicate adjustments, and disappear back into the Discord night. Buck, thanks for keeping us on our toes, and I thank you for your curiosity and insight. If you'd like to become an executive producer like Buck, get a chat color in Discord, and let you pick what projects we're going to work on, you can become one by clicking on become a supporter in the show notes or through the episodes entries on our webpage. If you super liked this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com or at podcast on Twitter. We have a hopping Discord community at discord.me slash podcast. You can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Anchor, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play, Podcasts, or the podcatcher of your choice. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform you're choosing or tell a friend about us. Also, go to com for show notes and all of our previous shows. Now go change reality. Bye.